This time on Poll Hub, polls and lots of them. What do the latest round of surveys from us and others mean for the November election? Well, plenty of people are drawing plenty of conclusions and we will share ours. Spoiler alert, it's still very early. Then as the pandemic researches in dangerous ways across the US, what happens afterwards? What happens on the other side of this? We've gone back in history, looked at polls, looked at what has happened to see what it can tell us about what we might expect. We have lots to talk about, so let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I've been promoted to the second introduction. I'm Lee Maringoff, Director of the Marist <laughs> College Institute for Public Opinion. Barb? Oh, and I've been, I don't know, they saved the best for last. Yes. I'm Mark Fertella, yes. Director of the Marist Poll. <laughs> oh, boy, you guys aren't kidding uh, when you're saying there's been a lot of polls out lately. Um, certainly with everything that's going on in the economy, uh, uh, with the protests, uh, with the virus, uh, and uh, with the virus escalating in a number of states around the country. Um, what do pollsters do? Well, we call people and 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 talk to them and ask them uh, what they what they think about it. So um, we actually have some some numbers out with our partners, uh, uh, NPR and the PBS NewsHour, uh, just on President Trump himself and his uh, job approval rating. Um, right now, um, although we didn't see a huge movement uh, for the president, 40% uh, of Americans say they approve of uh, the job that he's doing, 58% say that they disapprove, which is actually the highest number uh, that we have had during his presidency. Um, so guys, um, like, What's going on? Are, are you surprised that we really didn't see uh, a huge change? I know there are a number of other polls out uh, today and in the last few days that have shown some dramatic shifts, particularly among independents for the president. Uh, are we an outlier? No, I think that uh, these numbers uh, suggest, I think more than anything that, um, you know, a lot of this is baked in. Uh, there's not a lot of people floating around at, at this point, but I did see one number, and I, and I would recommend that people just check the party spread within the different polls because of the strong Democrat-Republican differences in party preferences, both for Trump approval and the toss-up question. That can be very determining. You mean the margin yeah. between the how many Democrats, Democrats, how many Republicans each poll uh, found? And this one, I believe, was plus eight Democrats. Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, um, and we did have which has been fairly we've been fairly yeah. consistent over time. We've seen a couple of blips with Democrats really outnumbering. But I, but I know one. There's one number in here that I know jumped out for Jay Dapper when he was looking at it, and it had to do with the record strongly. Are you putting words in his mouth? No, no, no. I'm just passing it over to him. The strongly disapproved. Yeah, I mean. I mean, 49% strongly disapprove. That is one shy of 50%, which is what you need to win an election. Well, Sorry. not in the popular vote, but whatever. 49% uh, strongly disapprove. These are basically 49% of Americans. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, they hate this guy. That is unbelievable uh, at this stage of an election year. That is really historic and unbelievable. Now, George Bush was not liked in the la in his second term, you know, near the end as the economy tanked. There are, there are certainly precedent for this, but uh, we've talked for three years about how Donald Trump's numbers essentially don't really change. His approval rating runs from 40 to 43, 44%. His disapproval 
which has climbed, uh, did not get up to this level before. It was in the low 50s. I think it is remarkable that his strongly disapproved number is this high. Uh, and I don't think we're going to see the approved number dip because those 40% are baked in. Yeah. And they're just not going to change. It's yeah. what happens on the other side that I think is, is pretty dramatic. So with all these yeah, toss-ups, go ahead, Barb. No, go ahead. I was going to actually mention the toss-ups. No, so then I'll let you mention the toss-ups. <laughs> so we, we did, I mean, the other question we did ask about the president uh, was a, a toss-up question between him and um, uh, Joe Biden. And uh, we found not a statistical difference from our earlier June poll, Biden with a 52% uh, support and Trump with 44%. It had gone from a seven point Biden lead to now an eight point Biden lead. Um, and not really much shifting, you know, underneath those uh, top numbers either. Yeah, well, and, and also there's uh, people have been seeing the New York Times Siena poll, perhaps they've seen the Quinnipiac poll, a lot of state polls, um, and they're showing a very, you know, convincing lead for Joe Biden because basically if he carries everything Hillary carried, plus Michigan and Pennsylvania, he just needs one more. And he's yeah, ahead be, in Arizona, Florida, Michigan there. We just mentioned North Carolina. He's ahead in Pennsylvania. He's ahead in Wisconsin. He's ahead in, in Ohio in the cube ball. Yeah, and, and pretty even in, in other places where he, all things being equal, he'd be trailing. But word of caution, as Jay said in the beginning, it's still early. These are registered voters, not likely voters. And I think when we see the switch over in the fall, that could make a difference. But right now, the president has some electoral problems. There, there's one other thing before we, we move on about these uh, state polls from New York Times and Siena that I note, because we've talked a lot about a number or something that we talk about is persuadables. Who's out there that's persuadable? And I think a lot of people think nobody's persuadable. You like Donald Trump, you hate Donald Trump. There's nobody in the middle. If you look at the independent numbers, though, in these races, Arizona, Florida, Michigan, uh, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, the, 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 the Times and Siena uh, College did, there, the, there is a much bigger undecided. So in Arizona, it's only 84% of independents have made a pick or say they do. 78% in Florida. That's basically three quarters. A quarter of independent voters uh, are saying that they're persuadable or haven't made up their minds. Now, they may not vote, but I think that's worth noting is that there, uh, there is an independent uh, set of voters here that are not baked into what they're going to do, or at least not telling pollsters what they're going to do. Yeah, so, so we're seeing right now this lead. Donald Trump has to pivot it, given his low approval rating, or he's got to figure out a way to get Joe Biden into this race and engage him because he doesn't want to make it a referendum on Donald Trump. Very hard for him to t play second fiddle, as we know. He likes to lead the orchestra. And so that's yeah. sort of a, a look at where we are right now in the toss-ups. So an awful lot of what we have talked about this year is not what we thought we would be talking about if you had asked us in December or January, uh, which is we've been talking about this pandemic. Uh, and the last week we have seen it disappeared out of the news for a couple of weeks and boy, is it back. And it's back because it is back in a, in a very, very... A serious way in terms of the number of infections and hospitalizations and all of that. We, we wanted to think about what happens on the other side of this. And it seems a little weird to talk about that right now because it has come storming back. But there will be another side of this. There will be a time when there's a vaccine when this is in our rearview mirror. And, but what will it look like? This is a huge impact. Look at the 
economy. This is just a huge thing that's happened to us. And so uh, we've looked back at, at time, as we do in polls and, and other historic events, to try and think about what the past can tell us about what the future holds. And um, one of them is 9-11. I mean, that's one of the events we've talked about. Um, what did we learn about what changed in 9-11 that tells us what we might expect to see change now or in the future, you know, after the pandemic? Well, I think we saw, you know, crises do a lot of things for Americans and it's 9-11. Uh, obviously that, uh, you know, changed that whole equation for George Bush in the short term. Um, people then get, you know, the country was, you know, changed on the topic of terrorism like we had never been before. Um, and, you know, it's that time, you can go back to World War II, uh, the Depression, uh, what that did, and, the, you know, then the war uh, in terms of public policy, um, the, you know, Social Security and other things coming on uh, during the Great Depression. I mean, it's not unlike, you know, major events and crises to get Americans focused because we can't just hang out and let it, everything play as usual you know, does. So but, I think there's a big difference. Right, but Barb, where's there, there's policy changes and then there's cultural well, changes. If we take, if we take, um, take 9-11 as a, as a first example, I, I think that that was a, a tremendous shift in the American psyche. Uh, first, just in terms of Americans' perceptions of our role in the world. Um, it really, it was, a, it was a jolt in the sense that um, you know, we thought we were the superpower, um, invincible, um, the country that guided and directed, um, you know, global policy and global direction. Um, and not only was this the first time that we had literally had an attack, um, you know, on our, you know, on our soil. Since Pearl Harbor. Um, since Pearl Harbor, yeah. correct, yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was something that really shook the country to its core, um, you know, and I think over over the uh, two decades that we have had since 9/11, this decline in Americans' perceptions about um, our role in the world has has continued. Um, the other thing too is the change in policy in terms of what um, Americans, um, the range of uh, of policy that Americans uh, were. Um, considered important, particularly with regard to privacy, particularly with regard to travel. Um, we had the um, certainly much more power put into um, the TSA, but also the Patriot Act, which allowed uh, the government to take a much greater role um, in uh, surveillance of Americans um, and, and uh, other uh, types of communications uh, that Americans uh, were, were having. And I'm thinking particularly of, you know, all of the recording and, and cell phone tracking and um, social media um, tracking um, as well. Um, so it was not only a dramatic change in, in self-perception um, and how we also viewed um, uh, people of uh, uh, Muslim descent. Uh, um, it was really a dramatic change also in the type of policy and the things that we thought was acceptable for government to do, which was uh, just a, a complete sea change from uh, uh, the day before. The from sudden the event. What's interesting with this uh, particular 
issue, this crisis, the pandemic, this is a long lasting event. And I think there's a lot of areas that we're gonna, first of all, I'm very happy to be talking about any topic that says post pandemic in the beginning, because I'm just, you know. <laughs> we're trying I, to be helpful. Yes, yes, you know, just to sort of set our gaze differently. But I, I think we're gonna have, look, we're all on Zoom right now, we're, we're talking to each other uh, remotely. Um, I think there's going to be a huge change uh, in the way communication takes place. We're seeing it in the campaign. We're going to see it in every aspect of how we our lives and how we work, how we interact, uh, you know, the whole bit. Um, and I also think that we're going to see a big change public policy wise in the role of public health in this country. Um, you know, we've had a clear debate for, you know, from everything to whether you're supposed to wear a mask or not, to the role of science. I mean, I think that's a big deal coming out of the pandemic as it is right now. And then also the topic that we're seeing going on right now uh, in other venues is the whole issue of protests, which seems to be spun off because of the pandemic and other you know, tragic events. So I think coming out of this, we're good, a lot is gonna be different from what it was you know, just a few months ago. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're dead on in terms of the the kind of the cultural impact, the, the work impact, the way that we communicate. I think that's all right. I wonder what the impact though is that is harder to measure that we, we couldn't really pick up in in polls. I don't know that polls or even history is a good guide for this because, you know, we'd have to go back to like the black plague and ask people then, we can't really do that. What happens on the other side of this to the way that we interact with other people in person? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people have pointed to the, um, the polio epidemic in the 1950s, where there was this incredible shift, particularly among parents protecting, uh, protecting their children and for, and this is something that was not just, you know, a, a summer event. This was something that took years and years, and it was a decade before uh, there was a vaccine that was, um, you know, provided, uh, you know, en masse to the, to the public. So that was something that changed culturally. And it did change how parents allowed the, their children to interact with chil other children and the activities that they were um, allowed to participate in. Of course, it then all gives birth to the, uh, to the 1960s. Um, so I don't know what the, uh, the implications are there, but it does seem that um, we do we do rebound short of you know short of another generation, but there's but there's no doubt that these major events not only have um, impact on our on our psyche uh, culturally, but also in terms of policy. So mm -hmm. uh, I think you're suggesting Lee that um, it's the healthcare policy that may have a big impact because of the virus, but certainly. Um, we are are moving in a very different direction, uh, given the given the protests um, and the killing um, of George Floyd, which I I think was really heightened um, everyone's you know feelings towards these issues because of how they have we had been so isolated um, from each other due to the due to the pandemic. Yeah, and so you know, as if there weren't enough issues, <laughs> there's one more issue. Uh, Jay promised an awful lot today. There's one more issue that we want to talk about uh, before we go, and that's the whole issue of public support or not for the taking down of these Confederate monuments. Obviously, you just alluded, Barb, to you know the, the George Floyd murder, um, and then we have you know so many other instances that now have come to the fore, and people are keyed on this whole issue, and that has raised or re-brought 
into the public view the issue of Confederate symbols and what the polls tell us, I think, are very interesting. Uh, and I think somewhat surprising. Uh, as recently as August of 2017, so we're talking less than three years ago, my things change quickly, um, in our poll, 62% nationally told us that, you know, leaders of the Confederacy, well, these were historic symbols and they should be left alone. Uh, Quinnipiac similarly found uh, people were opposed to removing these, uh, you know, around the country. Yet now, in light of the Black Lives, uh, Black, uh, Lives Matter movement, um, the, we're seeing support for the removal, a majority, uh, and that's a big deal. And then we may want to talk about the manner with which they're being removed. I'm not sure that is as popular as, uh, as it might be, but certainly people want to turn the page on the Confederacy. Yeah, NASCAR, others. Yeah, it's a different day out there right now. Well, also, and if you just take the example of Black Lives Matter, it wasn't too long ago that it was it was considered, you know, this, uh, you know, radical, marginal group without much public support, and it's very much mainstream. I think, look, I, the the Confederate thing has always baffled me, and and this is not new for me. And anybody who knows me knows that this goes all the way back to like when I was even in college, and I I honestly could not understand why as a nation, we put the names of essentially traitors. Confederacy was, they were traitors. They turned, you know, to try and destroy the union, right? Um, why we would put the names of traitorous generals or generals that fought against this country on schools and roads and airports and, and, and put monuments in them in, in, all over. And why we would be so okay about flying a flag that, if we flew a Nazi flag, is everybody good? I mean, it's the same thing. They fought against the United States. We, we don't treat any other enemies against the US. We've never treated any other enemies against the US like we treat the Confederacy and they were the enemy. That's what a civil war is all about. I have never understood that. And I, frankly, I'm only surprised it has taken this long for uh, this issue to come to this level of public prominence where people actually thought through what it means to see the Confederate flag, what it means to have a general like Lee on a statue in a capital of an American city. I just, I, I mean, this is, to me, this is a really long time in coming. And I, the only surprising thing is it took this long for it to rise to this level of prominence. Are you also baffled that the wear a mask or not wear a mask is a political issue and not a healthcare issue? Right? Well, that's different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we are. I thought you might be. Anyway. You're getting all my baffling things out here. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. no, I agree. And it is ironic, ironic, barely a strong enough word that, uh, you know, the, the Confederate flag is waved by those who would score higher on a patriot scale than others. Yeah. Uh, and they also yeah. might be against uh, freedom, First Amendment freedoms, uh, too. Right. So, the whole thing has gotten at that level very confused, um, but I think we're getting clarity, uh, credit of the Black Lives Matters movement. I mean, that's where it's absolutely. That's where I do it's think going. I do think this risks going really off the rails, though, when uh, protesters are pulling down statues of Abraham Lincoln that were paid for by freed black slaves, and and dedicated by Frederick Douglass. I think when you when you've come that far to the other side and you're basically just tearing down anything that's made of bronze that's on a pedestal, I think that you risk really, really overstepping what this moment can do. 
Um, and I, I think that is always a danger in any movement, but that seems, I would really be interested to see if this takes the course that it's currently taking where the next set of polls has but, but I'll say that when you see the videos of the folks, young folks pulling down the statues, they're mostly white. And yeah. I think, and that I think needs to be said because a lot of people in the Black Lives Matters movement are not happy about that part because it might, like the violence did in some of the protests, it can serve to delegitimize the very serious issues that they're trying to put on the table and move ahead in a policy wise. Yeah. No, I think there are I think there are pretty significant um, extremes, um, particularly trying to undermine uh, some of the the changes that are are going on right now. Um, and I think that may be something of what uh, of what we're seeing um, as well. But clearly, um, there's there's been a there's been a sea change, and you know, if we if, hate to take it back to Donald Trump, but um, he, he's having he I think he's having a tough time um, because it's it's not I, it's really just not as he remembers it. Um, and uh, a position of law and order is not resonating um, with the with the constituencies that he thinks that it it would. Um, it's a it's a much different tone, and it's a it's a much bigger bigger issue than uh, he's characterizing uh, right now. So well, have to see what happens there. Yeah, the silent majority doesn't appear to be a majority. Or silent. Well, lots of polls and issues to discuss this week. That's not going to stop. I, my guess is that uh, all the way through November, many of our episodes will be as packed as this, uh, as these issues bounce around and we uh, see what the American public has to say. For this edition, however, of Poll Hub, we bring it to a close. Poll Hub is a production of Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. We, of course, are all remote today and not on campus, but we do believe there will be an opportunity for one or two of us to be back on campus in the coming months as New York State slowly opens up. Uh, Casey Schaff is our editor. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. And Amelia Morell, as always, provides incredible amounts of uh, data and help to us in putting together these segments. Are you trying to get more money? Are we trying to get a raise here? Are you lobbying? I mean, sure. Amelia's always getting all these plugs and pundits. Yeah. Really, how heavy is the dog Hudson now? You have to update us. I think he's 28 pounds. <laughs> oh, God. Every week. Okay. The Every week. new puppy. The new puppy is, is growing by leaps and bounds. Well, one of the places Amelia checks is uh, in the Roper Center Archives at Cornell, which we've depended on uh, throughout uh, our nearly three years of doing this. And uh, we look back at surveys and results over time as we have in this very episode. Yes, and please, uh, we do love to see your comments, uh, at least most of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we get all sorts of, we get every all sorts of fan mail, you know, we, you know, we do ask your opinion uh, in a lot of different ways as we are now as well. That's, a, so that's air quotes around fan mail, Barb. I want <laughs> So if you do have questions or comments, do reach out to us on, on social uh, at Maris Poll on Twitter and Maris Poll on Facebook and, and Instagram. Uh, we, you know, we love to plug the Maris Poll Academy. Um, there's a lot to learn there. It's online and it's free and it can actually answer a lot of the technical, technical questions and some of the issues. We do some case studies on a number of the issues that we often speak about on the, on the uh, podcast. And finally, if you like what you hear, leave us a review tell us uh you know tell others what you think 
Um, and while you're at it, make sure that uh, you also subscribe. So stay safe and uh, thanks for listening.